Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell. And in this episode of Chick Flicks, we're talking about the movies Candyman and Get Out. But first, let's catch up. It's been a while. It's been, you know. Yeah, we were at like in December, we did so much content that like we did it all before the holidays. Yeah. In advance. And then it's been like a while. Although we did see each other in person. That's true. We had a a IRL meetup. I did have a fan ask me a few days ago, like, you didn't put anything out this week. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is an off week. It's just confusing since we've had uh, three weeks. And that fan was my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, it's one of her cool museum friends. (laughs) your mom. Who is also cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was also her. Uh, (laughs) um, Mackenzie, it's a new year. What are new things that are revitalizing you and bringing you life? Well, both of us are into Little Women, which what I I think would have made our top 2019 if we were able to see it before we recorded. For sure, for sure, for sure. I went in a little like this was is this overhyped everyone on twitter won't shut up about it mm-hmm. uh i feel like i'm the exact like target for this as a greta gerwig fan and a little mm-hmm. woman um fan and diehard mm-hmm. yeah. book lover um and so like watching it at first i was like okay this is pretty sentimental like we get it you know <laughs> and then i would just cried the whole time <laughs> like the whole time it's like if people put my interest into like an algorithm and then we're like this is the movie for you i like i was like sort of trying to like be skeptical at first too but then i was like as soon as timothy chalamet timothee came on screen i was literally like squealing and like rubbing my face like a crazy person i thought he was at first i was like he's no christian bale like christian bale is laurie that would be hard for me but i feel like he does a better job of you get why he's a bad match for joe in this with christian bale and a writer you're like hot do it what's going on but for this you're like no no well and I actually didn't like Christian Bale as Laurie because he just seemed too much like a baby. Mm. Mm-hmm. He was just like too whiny. And yeah. Tim Timothee was just a chef's kiss. I love a scrawny boy. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I will say Florence Pugh ran away with the movie, as everyone's saying. She was so good. She really makes yeah. Amy a sympathetic character that um, kind of gets mm-hmm. equal time and importance to Joe, who I was just like, Sarah, she, Sarsha, you know, she's yeah, okay. She, she she was good too. But I I feel like you're you're right. Florence Pugh ran away with it, and um, I also loved the like changes that Greta Gerwig made. Yes in terms of like dealing with the marriage plots Mm -hmm. sort of and like incorporating aspects of louise may alcott's life sort of and um i just love a movie about ambitious women yes and greta gerwig in this really excellent interview with davika girish at film comment said you know the book is about women art and money and, you know, when she puts it like that, you're like, yes, it's exactly what it's about. And um, yep. so it, it it really, that's why it's lasted so long over so many uh, years. And there's so much repeated interest in this story about mm-hmm. these little women. <laughs> you know what I kept thinking? You know that tweet that's like God inventing ants? And he's like, 
uh, they're going to be like crazy strong, like mad strong. And then he's crying and he's like, but so little. <laughs> I thought about that so many times. Oh my gosh. That's a good tweet idea. Um, what else are you into, Mackenzie? Other than the juggernaut. Uh, well, I read uh, Conversations with Friends uh, upon your recommendation in our last episode. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. I love, I mean, just like in Little Women, loving Joe about being a writer. I love just anything about women being writers. Yeah. Um, it was great. It was like there was friendship stuff, romance stuff. I love an affair. Ooh. And um, it made me really grateful for, like, you and Kether because I, the friendship between the two girls, they mm-hmm. kept, like, wanting to hurt each other sort of a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, I never feel that way. <laughs> yeah. I never want to cause my friends I have pain. been <laughs> in female friendships kind of like that before, you know, mm-hmm. but with age have kind of left those people behind, you know, I wish that book, my only, like one of my real complaints about that book is I wish that the friendship had kind of been foregrounded over the romance more. Yeah. Even though she had a weird thing going on with, you know, it was a weird friendship. Yeah. There, Mm -hmm. that was a romance part of the romance too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which like, I didn't like mind that, that it was like a messy friendship where it was like Mm -hmm. kind of romantic too, but I did not, I mean, I guess I appreciated the like representation. It did because it did make me feel appreciative of like those relationships. Like because I've been there too, where it's like mm-hmm. you have this sort of like malicious need to like compete with one another or something, and then I feel sort of like I've grown out of that too. So it made me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the other book that I started just yesterday actually is Thick by Tressie. Macmillan Cotton mm. and it's it's thick and other essays is what it's called and it's um about it, well it, it's like a as it's essays by Tressie and she is a writer and professor and she I knew her from Twitter not knew her but like knew of her because mm-hmm. um, I followed her on Twitter for a long time um and it's just about like being a writer, being fat and black and a woman and I'm reading like the part that she's I just started the part where she's like interrogating beauty mm-hmm. and I'm like really interested in reading more about this and like I said I just started it but because I work in like the beauty industry and it's something yeah. that I like struggle with a lot. I want to read I think like this it was a good like jumping off point but i'd like to read more about like interrogating beauty in the future you should read um lindy west's shrill yeah, as well yeah read that really good um i am reading this really great book that our friend bethania recommended to me called severance by ling ma and i would describe it as multi-genre It's a zombie apocalypse story, um, a love story, an anti-capitalist tale, all rolled into one. Um, It follows this protagonist named Candace after most of the world has perished under this weird fever called Shen fever, which makes people um, become like nonviolent zombies where they just like repeat tasks from their day-to-day life, a lot like drones in a capitalist society. (laughs) Uh, 
And it's really funny, very cutting. Uh, it just balances all these different things at once really deftly. And it's pretty remarkable for like a debut novel. I'm really enjoying it and I'm almost done. Um, and then the other thing that I want to plug is a movie that came out uh, probably like 30 years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> that I watched on the plane ride home from um, New Jersey back to Texas. It's Sleepless in Seattle. Um, one of my favorite rom-coms of all time was You've Got Mail. And I think it's because I'm just more familiar with You've Got Mail. So this is my first time like as an adult being like, I'm going to watch Sleepless in yeah. Seattle, which probably has the most ridiculous premise of a romantic movie I can think <laughs> of, which is a woman falls decides to abandon her entire life and fiance for a man she hears, a man and his child that she hears on the radio across <laughs> the country. Um, but Nora Ephron is so, uh, so deft at, being able to write both of these mm-hmm. characters and they're so believable that you too believe Meg Ryan when she's about to like totally nuke her life for Tom Hanks, who she hardly knows. It's like a really beautiful, sad movie. Um, also a sad movie about grief and made me think about how Nora Ephron, a lot of her characters in her movies are grieving. Um, mm-hmm. And I just love Meg Ryan. I watched When Harry Met Sally the day after as well. Uh, she was such a great protagonist, leading lady, even in like Anastasia the animated film yeah <laughs> i love her um yeah i've never seen here when harry met sally oh i like when harry met sally a lot the most disturbing thing about when harry met sally is that it will make you have a crush on billy crystal uh yeah it will. <laughs> seems impossible oh okay. it did for me <laughs> and then it happens and they like have him playing himself as a 20 year old and you're like this is just who would buy this <laughs> maybe me <laughs> Um, oh, so if you are listening to Chick Flicks and enjoying uh, this rapid fire banter and film <laughs> reviews, uh, we w- would kindly implore you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Just Apple Podcasts. You get them at the market. You could leave a little sign up that said, This <laughs> podcast was good. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your family. Mm hmm subscribe subscribe and now we are ready to dive into the two movies we're talking about this week the first is Candyman from 1991 Candyman 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 (laughs) (laughs) feels like I'm about to break into song it's hard to say I felt that way watching the movie too it's hard to say anything five times without feeling like you're gonna break into song unless yeah well except if you're like in front of a mirror like i remember bloody the bloody mary thing whatever Candyman, 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 Candyman. according to urban legend uttering his this name five times while looking in the mirror will conjure the candy man the undead son of a former slave who was cruelly lynched in 1890 after falling in love with a white woman Candyman exists in whispered rumors and schoolyard tales until he becomes too real and too violent to ignore Chicago grad student Helen Lyle finds this out the hard way while researching urban legends for her thesis. Her work takes her into Cabrini Green, a housing project with residents who know better than to provoke Candyman's ire. In pursuit of a killer thesis, Helen becomes entangled with Candyman, a killer legend. Nice. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So this is your first time seeing Candyman, right? Yeah. I was like super impressed. I was not expecting this good of a movie i was not i guess my expectations were extremely low yeah but it like it was super good and probably one of the best like urban legend movies yeah i can even think of seeing have you ever. heard of the movie Pumpkinhead? 
I had no. like, it's a very, it's like a kind of a bad horror movie with really good special mm-hmm. effects about this creature with a gigantic pumpkin head. But I had like mm-hmm. conflated the two, like it being mm-hmm. a similar pulpy horror movie, but this yeah. is not that at all. Yeah. It's like, I mean, to use the more recent term of like elevated horror, mm-hmm. it is kind of that. It's super good. Yeah. I think everyone who made this was taking it very seriously the entire time. Apparently, mm-hmm. Philip Glass, the composer, didn't really know what he was getting into or he like really needed the money or something and was like embarrassed <laughs> to be associated with this movie. But really? his his score is part of what elevates it. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a, like a beautiful it's a beautiful score. Obviously, this movie has problems, but like, yeah, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't I don't want to just be like. It's so good without I know caveating it first. There's but, like, so many I, caveats. Yeah, yeah, I know there's so many. But like overall, like I had a really good time watching it, mm-hmm. and I can see why, like Jordan Peele names it as one of his like big influences, and is so interested in remaking it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's gonna it's gonna come out in June, I think, of this year, and it's um, <laughs> the new reboot will be directed by Nia De Costa who mm-hmm. did Little Woods recently with Lily James and Tessa Thompson. Um, and it's going to be written and produced by Jordan Peele. I'm like very mm-hmm. happy that he is letting someone else direct it, uh, especially yeah, a woman of color. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also happy he's involved in some capacity. So I feel very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I thought that I was very happy to see him like elevating another uh black like a black woman creator. yeah and it's going to be about Project. the same neighborhood that's been gentrified um and i've heard that it's also it's going to revolve around this the baby like the grown Ooh. baby anthony who's in this movie wow. yeah oh my god sounds oh my god so Candyman is we don't ever know his real name he was the son of a former slave, as I said in the intro who's lynched after um falling in love with a white woman he has his arm cut off and replaced with a hook and he's like covered in bees and stung to death. I'm not sure where the name Candyman comes from. Is it because honey is sweet? I heard someone say that like, you know, I listened to a bunch of podcast episodes about this and yeah. someone was like, it's probably because of the honey. But it, it was unclear. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Is this an actual urgent? Ur- well, urgent? Uh, <laughs> Is this an actual like urban legend? It's an amalgamation of I don't know if I said that word correctly of um <laughs> of Bloody Mary and the Man with the Hook, uh, and it was adapted okay. from a Clive Barker novel. I mean, short story right. uh, that was set in England, um, mm-hmm. and so it was the director uh, Bernard Rose's idea to set it in Chicago and make it about like race relations in America uh, to varying success. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess let's start by maybe like talking about the character of Helen. Okay. Yeah. She's played by Virginia Madsen, who, if you watched better, watch out with us for Christmas. She's the mom. (laughs) (laughs) She's also in 91 when this came out is like a Jillian Anderson doppelganger. Looks so much like her and is has such pretty hair. (laughs) Yes. She's very pretty. (laughs) She's very, very pretty. Um, so Helen is a grad student. She's married to a professor named Trevor. Uh, she's studying anthropology. Her best friend's name is Bernadette, um, who's played by Casey Lemons, the director, uh, which I have to admit, I knew who Casey Lemons was and I knew who this actress was, but I never put two and two together. And I feel like Bobo the clown (laughs) because she's a huge deal 
and an amazing <laughs> director. And Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite movies. Um, but so Helen and Bernadette are interested in making a thesis about urban legends. And I was thinking, typing up some notes last night, that it's kind of funny that I can think of like at least two movies with anthropology students at the center that are like horror films and they're this in midsummer. And I think it's because like anthropology students like get into shit they shouldn't be getting into, you know, or like someone else's culture. You're right. It reminds me also of like the taking of Deborah Logan where yeah. it's just like students it just has to be documentary invading, like invading a space. Yeah. They're not like, eesh. That's a very good way of putting it. So it's especially, I think one of the weirdest dynamics in the movie is Bernadette and Helen's relationship, which on one hand I love because I love to see like two women together at any point collaborating <laughs> and being friends. But it's, it gets really weird when they go into Cabrini Green, which is this housing project for the first time mm-hmm. that's really run down. Um, and Bernadette's really nervous and very cautious. And Helen's like, come on, let's go. Let's take pictures in here. Like, yeah. let's talk to people. Let's look around. And Bernadette's like, what if we walk in on a drug deal? Uh, and yeah. it's so the dynamic of like Helen knowing better than a black woman, you know, or kind of like yeah. being naive uh, mm-hmm. was kind of annoying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I did. My heart swelled when they were like just sitting around a kitchen table drinking wine and like working together. Yeah. I was like, wow, I want to do that again because, yeah. Um, but then you're right it was very uneasy as soon as it they ventured outside of the like workspace i guess yeah and i almost was waiting for bernadette to say something like hey like don't you think i know more about this than you do or like don't you want to listen to my opinion and not just because she's black you know like i don't know it just was it was weird and well she because helen was very like um, I mean, she's the main character. Like yeah. she was like leading the charge and just very, um, it, it seemed more almost like her, was it like her project and Bernadette was just helping her? Like, well, they were like, it's our thesis, which I'm not really sure if people work on joint theses together. Uh, I would have to ask Tim. <laughs> uh, not in midsummer. Not in, they were, no, they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that annoyed me too. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, this is from writer Evan Narcisse in uh, Rolling Stone. And the article is called Candyman, Why This Racially Charged Horror Movie is Scarier Than Ever. Helen's symbiotic relationship with the killer knowingly draws on the way that white women in peril have been used to demonize black men in America, a tradition stretching all the way back to D.W. Griffith's The The Birth of a Nation. Candyman tells the tragic tale of an unjust death of a 19th century black man and then presents that same black man as a supernatural monster. No one helped Candyman when he was being chased through Cabrini Green after daring to impregnate a white woman. A century later, he's getting revenge for his own murder at the hands of the white ruling class, shaping this grad student in his own image and making so no one will want to help her. I like that take a lot because um, I feel like some other people po- said, you know, like, does this movie kind of say that what happens to Helen is like the same or similar to what happens to Candyman? Because it's not mm-hmm. like her being cheated on is not the same right. thing as being her being lynched. Um, yeah. But I like this. This his like revenge is like on the white ruling class, even though he does fuck with the poor people of Cabrini Green a lot, too. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like this movie had a lot of like interesting ideas but Mm. it didn't 
it wasn't able to like sort through it all and it it just took the wrong turn in a lot of ways or like Mm. didn't consciously realize like what it was doing like with having the candy man be so like abusive to the black community Mm -hmm. um and the like ending with helen sort of taking the candy man's place yeah, and I, I think one of the problems it has, so to kind of summarize what happens in the later half of the movie, is that Helen keeps, keeps getting, like, framed for Candyman's murders, and he's attempting to draw her into, like, being with him because she looks like his uh, long-dead lover, which is, like, such a trope, you know? Like, you look mm-hmm. like this woman I was in love with when I was alive. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel as though if they had eschewed a romantic kind of tension between them, there would have been more of a cutting social commentary. You know, if he was, mm-hmm. if he wasn't trying to seduce Helen, perhaps they could have gotten to the root of some other dynamic that, you know, he was like Evan says in Rolling Stone that he was getting revenge for his own murder at the hands of the white ruling class and shaping yeah. her and her, his image. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like there were a lot of swings and misses, I guess. Yeah, you could say. which just means I think that there's like a lot of potential for the for someone like Jordan Peele, who's like so smart and great to write a different, uh, like updated version. Yeah, and it's kind of like one of those movies too, where you're like, why is a white person in this at all? You know, I think that's mm-hmm. something. Um, you know that. Uh, but I think there are like I think it does like start to interrogate whiteness like in some interesting ways i just think it like doesn't go all the way or just Mm -hmm. like kind of like like i said like takes the wrong turn like i think that it would be interesting to have like a white person go into like a black community and then like interrogate what that actually means but Mm -hmm. they sort of like start to do it and then never follow through yeah if that makes sense yeah and i think that's uh, it's because uh, maybe the, like the latter half of the movie gets so supernatural pretty quickly too um mm-hmm. or even you know helen is framed for like the grisly murder of a black woman bernadette and like the kidnapping right. of a child and it's never mm-hmm. no one is ever like verbalizing like what that means that um you know that she is victimizing these people like that mm-hmm. um what did you think of Candyman? i I thought this movie was really scary. I thought it built up a lot of dread. um, And and it had, like, really scary jump scares, too. Like, when he um, kills the doctor and he just... You think that nothing is going to happen, but then it does. Yes. (laughs) And it's it's super well done, Mm -hmm. I think. Like... Like, as many wrong turns as this movie took, it is, like, a well-crafted movie, but maybe not as great at, like, its stories and ideas, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Tony Todd as Candyman is, like, an unforgettable performance. Oh, yeah. He is in this great big coat. He's 6'5". He has Mm -hmm. bees surrounding him sometimes, sometimes coming out of his mouth. Yes. I read on Wikipedia. How did they do that? I read on Wikipedia. Well, he had a mouth guard in his mouth. And I read on Wikipedia that he had written into his contract that he would get a thousand dollars for every bee sting, which is awesome if true. So he got like twenty three thousand oh dollars just for bee stings. Um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would Good. be very very hard. 
but he has yeah, this great dead. voice and yeah, voice I know I was complaining oh about the romantic elements earlier, but mm-hmm. he is kind of like this tragic romantic figure. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, uh, which Bernard Rose says as well, you know, he's kind of tragic mm-hmm. in a romantic Edgar Allan Poe sense. He's a ghost. He's the resurrection of something that yeah. was kind of unspoken and unspeakable. It's a quote from mm-hmm. the director. Um, I liked, I almost liked the like gothic romance part of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the, maybe romance in terms of like genre, but not necessarily like the actual relationship between mm. the Candyman and Helen, because I think it was just like misplaced and weird and like kind of distorted. But I, um, but I do think that this is like, uh, it fits into like the gothic genre, I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, and I, I think something that kind of heightened that gothic sense was uh, Virginia Madsen is hypnotized in all of her scenes with Candyman. So she has, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that Bernard Rose says that said this, he was tired of like women like screaming in horror f- films. So mm-hmm. they hypnotized her instead to get like some sort of weird uh, ethereal quality from her performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, we're, mm-hmm. I don't want to like jump in, keep jumping in out ahead to no. get out, yeah. but the way that um, in Get Out, Chris is hypnotized and the close-ups on his face and the mm, close-ups to Helen's yes. face when she's being hypnotized are very similar in just that they're like obviously in this like almost stunned trance mm-hmm. with just tears streaming down their face. And I thought that was a really cool mm-hmm. parallel. We, we read this great article comparing Get Out and Candyman by Manuela Lazic in The Ringer. And she makes a really good point by saying, you know, it's kind of like the reverse dynamic. Um, Chris Washington in Get Out feels the need to get out of the wealthy mansion owned by his white girlfriend's parents. Virginia Madsen's Helen Lyle and Candyman is afraid of being intrusive as a white grad student entering the predominantly black and lower class social estate of Cabrini Green. Um, you know, Chris is a photographer. Helen is a grad student. They're both aiming to document communities outside of themselves. And I thought that I thought that it was like a really, really good comparison. And, and same with mm-hmm. the hypnot uh, that the pre- there's like a hypnotizing aspect to both uh, films is really interesting as well. Um, so this movie uh, did draw some criticism when it first came out. I did read a really stupid sounding quote from Virginia Madsen that was like, "Oh my god, why are sounds- people?" Yeah, yeah. People are like, she's like, why are people angry that he's in love with a white woman? That's how it is in real life. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, that was so stupid. I was like, girl, just don't I, speak. It, yeah. <laughs> and um, there was a roundup in 1992 in Chicago uh, Tribune of um, some criticism criticisms leveled at the film, which I feel like we should probably include, you know, um, tropes such as Black men are obsessed with white women. The black community is not made up of individuals, but of amorphous faces that exact in-kind revenge or pay tribute in mass, which I thought was a very interesting trope that, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of aware of, but never put a name to, or I haven't. Yeah. Um, and uh, black man's anger towards the white establishment is usually vented on his own race, which we talked about too. In Manuela Lasik's uh, article in The Ringer, she ends it by saying, if Peel remade Candyman, perhaps he would refocus the film's new meant more... Denouement? Denouement? Denouement. I have no idea. You're asking me. (laughs) Uh, More squarely on its title character, or make Helen's own pain as a betrayed and disbelieved woman another interesting theme to explore alongside that of racism and not an eventual substitute for it. Mm. So I feel like, I mean, I completely agree. Like, the end does substitute uh, Candyman's story for Helen's, and uh, 
pushes him to the side, um, like uh, literally covers him up, like covers up his mural with a, a painting of her. Mm-hmm. And I think that like he is like the more interesting. I mean, he's the legend. Like I want to hear more about like his actual story. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like we never know his name, and it's almost like we. He is this. He has this like sympathetic story, and it's mm-hmm. like a super devastating, yeah. tragic story. But we're never made to feel sympathy yes, for yes, him. Yes, I, I found that very strange too. You know, even I feel like if you had done a flashback scene, which could be corny or something, you know, to kind mm-hmm. of show uh, how um, how how what a victim he was of like white supremacy, you know, versus mm-hmm. Helen, who's like a victim of like her husband cheating on her, you know, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Like, like maybe just some. Uh, exploration of him as a character without Helen there, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, who is he without... And I know it says that he only exists, like, he exists because of, like, rumors and, like, Mm -hmm. words written on walls and things. So he only really exists with the help of other people, so maybe that would be hard to do. But Mm -hmm. maybe just in, like, the little kid who um, was, like... (laughs) Uh, Helen's like tour. What I forget. I don't know, remember his name. Mm-hmm. But like maybe like a scene with him and sure. Candyman, just like another lens exploring mm-hmm. Candyman's like character and everything without Helen there. Would yeah, be interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, totally agree. And I I'm excited for the reboot because I feel like it'll mm-hmm. address every issue. You know that. Mm-hmm every fault that this movie had and everything that it overlooked or didn't understand about what it was trying to portray. Um, well, there were some really great one star reviews. I uh, will read the first one, which is kind of hard to interpret. This is again, this is a one star review. Well, a lot of things being said, smiley face, comma, good things, comma. I mean, movies are full of imagination, but if they mean to be serious about some things, well, I mean, I want to say we have to think, period. <laughs> Relaxing is good, but we have to think. What does that even mean? <laughs> really, I swear I to God, understand. I found that on IMDb. The lead woman, I can't remember her name. She was just that good. Goes through the movie doing stupid things. She puts herself in blatantly dangerous situations and then cries like a baby when she's hurt. The Candyman isn't scary at all. One star. (laughs) I mean, like, okay, Ellen is like, Helen is like hurt, hurt in this movie too. Let her cry like a baby. Yeah. Also, like, as many problems as we just went on about, this is like a really good movie. It's like a fun thing to watch. It's very fun and it's just, it's really well made. Uh, yeah, it's I, really scary. It's very atmospheric. Dang, it's like. I hope somehow they got Philip Glass to score the new one too. Like, oh my God. I feel like that, I feel like it's the best part of, one of the best parts of the film. Like, top Yeah, I would two say or so. Three. The cinematography is also really good. Yes. Really. The, for like a horror movie. Yeah, movie for the horror the movie for sure. Like the tracking shots of the city in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Really, 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 really good. The editing is also really good. It's like. What would you rate it, Mackenzie, to transition seamlessly? I don't know. It's so hard. <laughs> I'm going to rate it a seven. I'll rate it a seven, too. Nice. Thanks for leading the way. We high-fived on Skype. 
<laughs> well, up next, we're talking about a uh, predecessor, not a predecessor, the opposite of predecessor. Oh, uh, <laughs> man, I drank some stupid juice tomorrow, this morning. <laughs> anyway. It's opposite day or whatever. I don't know. Thank you. Okay, so our next movie we're talking about is Get Out from 2017. In Get Out, photographer Chris Washington embarks on a weekend visit to meet the parents of his girlfriend Rose in their suburban home. Meeting the parents is always awkward, but to compound matters, Rose's parents, Missy and Dean Armitage, make a strange fuss over Chris being black. Even more strange are the behaviors of the family's friends and their black servants, who fetishize Chris's blackness and invoke stereotypes. Over the course of one weekend, Chris's time with his girlfriend's family goes from cringy to dangerous as the Armitage's true natures are revealed. Can I just say, my parents (laughs) are so much like... The Whoa, wait, they, I mean, now that you're saying it, your mom, my mom your is a psychotherapist is, and your dad is a genial bald man. Yeah. With like a black turtlenecks. Wow. They're very civil. <laughs> and you have, they have a son and a daughter. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Scary. It's almost hard to talk about Get Out because this is a movie I think that was talked about so much and it's like what are we gonna add to the conversation nothing yeah you know (laughs) to be honest and fair uh yeah but but it's i feel like it would be almost like remiss like we did like like hereditary and like rosemary's baby like all these movies that have been talked about so much so it would be Uh like i think a misstep to not include it in our repertoire just because it's been covered so much for sure and i think it's it's interesting to talk about because it was covered so much like mm-hmm. this movie is was i can think of no other movie that contributed like so many memes to culture at the time too you know oh, yeah, and infiltrated sure. it came out right after the 2016 election that winter it blew up on twitter it everyone was talking about it for a full year because you know the mm-hmm. oscars were like a full year after uh mm-hmm. where it won best uh, original screenplay for jordan peele um mm-hmm. It was a, it was a juggernaut. Um, yeah, and it had a one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes for a really long time. Yeah, it people in their reviews talk about like how there's a before Get Out and there's an after Get Out, and it kind of does like feel like that in a lot of ways. Like Jordan Peele has now made Us, and he's working on a lot of other stuff like The Twilight Zone mm-hmm. and like we said the Candyman remake. And I don't know. I think talking about the Candyman in conjunction with Get Out is interesting. I mean, a lot of people have mentioned it in when talking about Get Out, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen it before, like, us talking about it in this episode. So I think that... And this... I have been meaning to rewatch Get Out since it came out. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. Get and, Out! <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, like, even... I loved it the first time, but I liked it even more upon this rewatch and i think that it's one of those movies that is just like rewatchable and it just gets better every time yes and i think um it's such a i know he did the keanu movie before this about the cat Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) but this is like his real debut you know as a filmmaker and it immediately like when you saw us i think us cemented that like this is his style you know Mm -hmm. um 
because it's one it's one thing to do one film and then you know to to make another and, and have it confirmed that like he has this very distinct eye and style and ability to tell a story and build a story um and this was one of the most interesting theater experiences ever and i saw a lot of people saying that too in their their reviews mm-hmm. of it you know that it's it grabs you from the start I know I've talked about this before on the podcast many times, but Mm -hmm. I saw this movie in rural white Warren County, New Jersey, uh, February, 2017, a County that went for Trump in a theater of all white people. And at the end of the film, when Chris is finally kind of escaped from the Armitage's house and they're all dead, he's lying near his dead or dying girlfriend, Rose and a cop car arrives and everyone in the theater groaned. All of these white people who probably have like Blue Lives Matter bumper stickers all groaned at the sight of a police car because in that moment they were emphasizing so directly with a black man character mm-hmm. that they interpreted the police to be a threat, an unfair mm-hmm. threat. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that is amazing. That is like empathy yeah. machine, you know? Yes. <laughs> so crazy. Um and I think that's why the movie was so popular when it came out because it took this uh, experience that like black people have all the time of being the only black person in a room, and it translated it for all audiences to understand. Like rewatching it, like I said, you just you notice new things every time, and um, I'm almost excited to like rewatch it again in a year and make it like a tradition to keep rewatching it just mm. because it is so good. Yeah. It's interesting too. I remember at the time it came out, there was like a proliferation of like, get out Easter eggs. Like you missed this, you know, like, uh, they hit a deer because Buck was a a name for black men and, you know, he's picking cotton out of the chair and Mm -hmm. all of these other like little Mm -hmm. Easter eggs Mm -hmm. that I think are a really approachable way for a lot of people to like get into film to literally Mm -hmm. be like, Oh, there's actual subtext on screen for me to dive into, you know? And Jordan Peele said he was like, in 20 years, like people are going to be looking at this movie and like figuring stuff out. But it was like happening immediately. And he was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I didn't expect like people to dig this deep into the movie so quickly. And it's because people just kept going to see it over and over again. That's so cool. Um, And yeah, what a success. What a A huge success. Really great casting, too. Um you know, uh, Daniel Kaluuya is amazing as Chris. The White family has been casted to a T with, you know, Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, and Allison Williams is so creepy as Rose. Terrifying. When she has her hair slicked yeah. back, she looks like... She looks like a girl who would Wait, been, Allison Williams? Yeah. Okay. She looks like a, right. a girl who would be mean to you in high school. Not you specifically, but... Yeah, you oh, and me. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I never watched Girls, but she's I heard the that. same character. Okay, <laughs> same characters. Uh, this is what Williams had to say about playing Rose. I realized it would be more evil and eerie if we saw Rose in her natural state at the end, and realized for that for the rest of the movie she's basically playing a character. A lot of our conversation was figuring out how to make her as innocent seeming for as long as possible. I tried to layer in looks that could seem either on first viewing, like she was mad at the white person for treating her boyfriend weirdly, or on a second viewing, upset at the white person for blocking her from being able to get this all over with. When the cop pulls them over, that's a scary moment for her because it could mess up her whole operation, which is like chilling. Um, she's she's good in this. She's really good. She's yeah. 
I read that also that the um the the white family watched a Republican debate together as one of their bonding activities. Wild. <laughs> yeah. So creepy. I also um Betty Gabriel oh, like yeah. was so good and she plays the like uh servant of the house but she's actually like the grandma's brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um the scene that people always talk about is where the actual like black woman who's her like mind is like starting to break through a little bit when she's talking to Chris at one point Mm -hmm. and she's just saying no over and over again and it's a close-up like a tight close-up of her face and it's so good and so heartbreaking and so tragic and I can I'm like, why hasn't she been in every movie? Yeah, that that's a really good point. She should really be casting more stuff. She's been in like a lot of TV stuff, it looks mm. like. And she was in, I guess, uh, Twilight Zone. Oh, good. Um, but I, she should like... That's not enough. <laughs> you know? Like, really not enough. She was so good. That scene is amazing. Yeah. Um, I like that Jordan Peele also like wears his influences on his sleeve like really clearly like rosemary's baby and the separate wives mm-hmm. or something he cites a lot uh mm-hmm. of times um mm-hmm. i think this is a yeah like a direct clear predecessor uh, not pred- why do i keep saying predecessor when that is the opposite of what i mean what successor mean? i mean uh, successor su- oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> think of succession dun, 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 and that's dun, dun, dun. how you can remember oh i will um <laughs> and i think another fun thing about this movie too uh, Jordan Peele says a lot he's inspired by this stand-up bit that Eddie Murphy would do about a mm-hmm. black family moving into a haunted house and how they would just be like, we're leaving. He's like, why yeah. did the family leave during Poltergeist? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the characters in this do act as realistically as they can the entire film, you know. Mm-hmm. And little Halray as Rod is kind of the mm-hmm. audience surrogate mm-hmm. telling Chris to get out and leave the entire time. Yeah. Um and it's such a, like, you wrote in your notes that Jordan Peele's background in comedy is probably one of the reasons why he transitioned to horror so well. And I mean, I, like, a lot of his bits in Key and Peele also had elements of horror as well. Mm. So it's, like, something that I feel like everyone knew he was sort of interested in for a while. But I think that, especially now, the balance between, like, uh comedy and horror is um like almost necessary for a horror movie to be successful these days um and yeah you're so right just does it so well (laughs) it's because both genres require meticulous setup for a payoff you know yeah like you're not going to be scared of a jump scare unless the build-up has been really precise and the same thing with Mm -hmm. a joke um Mm -hmm. And it almost makes it feel more, like, authentic, too. That's true. Because real life is a little scary and a little funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, yeah. I mean, a great movie. I did, uh, when I was looking through one-star reviews for this movie, which I kind of hate mm-hmm. to do sometimes for movies that probably have, like, really gross people who hate yeah. them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of white people, their brains are broken by this film. God. Like, so really... Stupid destroyed but we will get to that <laughs> oh let's talk about the original ending versus the um mm. the ending that ended up going to the floor uh so yeah. as i mentioned before you think the cops show up but it's actually rod 
mm-hmm. the original ending, it is the cops. Chris is arrested and imprisoned, and that's how the movie ends, which... What a bummer. Huge bummer. Yeah. Too like, realistic. Yeah. I think, like, the fact... I think it, like, it could, like, could expose, uh, like, deeper truth about what is happening in America, but it's like we've had that the whole movie, and I think, mm-hmm. especially with Trump being elected... Just before mm-hmm. this movie came out, it was like we all needed a reprieve. A, yeah, like hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. I and the oral history <sighs> and vulture of this movie getting made. They talk about you know Trayvon Martin and Eric Brown, mm-hmm. um, you know uh, Eric Garner, who you know were all um, killed by by policemen, and how that reality was too grim. Um, and that they needed, you know, like a win to be represented on screen. And yeah. it is, I think, just a better ending story-wise, too. Because Chris has been through so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, you need that payoff of him to get in the car with his his, his friend and get yeah. out of there. And either way, he's like a hero. Like in the one where he's arrested, he's mm-hmm. in prison. He's like, I did it. I stopped them. Like, mm-hmm. that's all that matters almost. But in the one where he gets away, it's mm-hmm. like he still did all of that. He just also can like Walk recover, away. hopefully. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jordan Peele said he's open to doing a sequel, if not for money, if a good idea comes along to him. So mm-hmm. maybe he yeah. will. Mackenzie, do you want to read our first one star review? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the racism theme you find here isn't anything related to the real world, like 12 Years a Slave or Django Unchained. <laughs> Django Unchained. I have no idea what granted Peel an Oscar for this film. I've seen B-movies much better than this, and seeing someone go from comedy to director, you'd be 100 times better off watching A Quiet Place directed by John Krasinski. When I read this the first time, I laughed so hard. It, that's for Let's so talk about long. setup and a payoff in that one yeah. star review. <laughs> A Quiet Place by John Krasinski. Remember John Krasinski in like one of our very first episodes was like, this movie is about politics and how you can't hide from yeah. learning about politics. It was our first episode. <gasps> what a we joke. just like ripped it apart. We were like, this movie is right wing propaganda. <laughs> Let's watch the second one. Quiet Place Part 2, which we all wanted. This is the second one star <laughs> review for Get Out. It would have been a good film in a 100 years, but it's hurting everyone in the current political environment. The result is very the result is every black has a thought every white is murdering them, so they have to resist. We have to refuse the movie and vote the Republicans in Trump next time. Ah, get out. <laughs> yeah, what the whole Terrifying. People are crazy. People are crazy. This is a, if you ever want to have a laugh slash be truly chilled and think Trump is going to win again, <laughs> look through the one-star reviews for Get Out. No, this is like literally why... We need the good ending. Get out. Yeah. Like, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, Mackenzie, I'm going to give this movie a nine. I'm going to give it a ten. Wow. Maybe your first ten. I, it might be. But, I like, this rewatch just, like, I was like, whoa. Mackenzie's I would vote for Obama for a third term is hey. my game. <laughs> Get out of ten. <laughs> no! Because I was thinking, I was like... Cause I in because we just watched Little Women and I was thinking about how Little Women was so good and I was like I'd probably rate Little Women a ten yeah and then I was thinking about this and I was like I have to rate this a ten then because yeah it's like just as good wow. so I know no I I agree 
agree. So now they're both tense. <laughs> it would really help us out, as we said at the beginning of the episode, if... I'm sorry, that was aggressive. I'm just going to do it again. It would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on January 27th. We'll be talking about the films The Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. And guess what? They have a connection that you don't know about. <laughs> Only we do. <laughs> but we'll talk about it on the 27th. Yeah. Um, Chick Flicks is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Grieve Carlson for our music. And thanks, thanks for you. listening to Chick Flicks. Bye. Bye.